Well, we're going to go ahead at this point, and uh, I would invite you, if you have a Bible, to grab it and turn to the Gospel according to Mark. The Gospel of Mark. And as you're turning there, we're going to be in chapter number one. As you're turning there, if you would join me in standing for the reading of God's Word, Mark chapter one. And uh, we're going to be studying this morning uh, from verses one down through verse number 13. I don't want to read all 13 verses of that right now because we are going to study them. Um, But I did want to go ahead and uh, read just verse number 1 together. The Bible says in Mark 1, verse 1, The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Lord, we are so thankful to be in your house today. Lord, it's already been a wonderful service. Lord, so many wonderful things have already taken place, but, but Lord, now we get to go into the Word of God. Now we get to look at this precious book that you have given to us. And Father, I pray that you would use this time, Lord, to not just increase our head knowledge, but Lord, to increase our heart for you. And uh, I pray, Lord, that you would do what we cannot. Lord, I can't touch hearts. Only you can. I pray, Lord, that you would indeed do that this morning. I pray that you'd use your word. And uh, I pray, Lord, that all of us would be obedient to it. And that, yes, that we would learn, but that we would grow because of it. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Well, last Sunday, we started this series called The Serving Savior. And uh, we are loosely basing this on the fact that the Gospel of Mark was written to highlight the fact that Jesus was the servant of God. On last Sunday, we weren't able to really get into the content of the book. We first took some time to look at the context. As we studied the attributes of the book, we learned that it was the shortest of the books, uh, of the Gospels. And uh, we uh, learned some different facts and figures regarding the book of Mark. We also took some time to study the human author of this book, uh, a man by the name of John Mark. And we uh, looked at his journey uh, and uh, we saw how the Lord blessed him and how he ended up becoming a mighty, faithful servant of the Lord himself as he uh, wrote this book. Well, so today we're going to go ahead and dive into the content, and I'm excited about it. Now, I'm not, how many of you would say, I'm a roller coaster junkie? Would you raise your hand? You just love the thrills and uh, the spills and all, okay, maybe not the spills, but um, you, you love the roller coaster thing. Okay, I'm, I would probably not raise my hand for this, um, but now that I have teen boys, I can't be a sissy la-la. So I kind of have to go on some of these, uh, some of these rides. Uh, we've gone to uh, Silver Dollar City a couple times, and they, uh, they've tried to get me to go on a couple. There, will, there are a few that I will not go on, uh, no matter how much they pay me. Well, unless they pay me some serious cash, then I'm not getting on them. Well, there's a ride, though, at uh, Knott's Berry Farm in Buena Park, California. Has anybody been to Knott's Berry Farm? Okay, a lot, a lot of you have been there. Okay. Uh, and uh, there's a ride there called Accelerator. And uh, I've been on this ride a couple times. I was very scared to go on it the first time. Uh, basically, you, you, the way you do is you, you, get in this, you get in the car, and then there's a little, like, red, red, yellow, yellow, green. 
And as soon as it hits green, it just takes off. I don't remember exactly the, uh, the miles per hour it gets to, but it's super fast. I mean, it's like, you know, right away. And you go up this, uh, this track. Better, better than me explain it, let's watch it together. Here we go. Let's try it again, maybe. That's it. That's it. It starts out super fast, and uh, it's over really quick, but it is quite exhilarating. How many of you got, got motion sickness already just from watching that? You kind of got a little queasy. Um, well, as I thought about the book of Mark, um, I, was, I was actually reminded about that ride. Uh, because the book of Mark, it starts out quick. I mean, it's like we're getting started right here, right now. Um, and so it starts out quick, and it's a fast, wild ride through uh, the life of our uh, precious Savior. So I would invite you uh, today, and as we get started with this series, to buckle your seatbelt, keep your hands and feet inside until we come to a full and complete stop. We're about to get started. Now, verse number one, which we read at the very beginning, uh, says, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. So Mark here doesn't waste any time getting right into it. If you read Matthew, he took the time to give us the genealogy of Jesus Christ. And it gives quite a bit of detail about the birth of Christ and, and the very early days of Jesus. You remember he was in Bethlehem and then the angel encouraged them to move down to Egypt. And they did. And then, and then they eventually moved back up to Nazareth where uh, Jesus uh, grew up. And Matthew gives us all of that information. Luke also spends a great deal of time explaining the birth of John the Baptist and then Jesus Christ and his birth and how uh, the angel appeared to Mary and all of all that story is all found in the book of Luke. And uh, Luke is the only one who mentions Jesus as a young man. If you recall there in the temple as a 12-year-old young man, uh, Luke records all of that. And then he gets into a, a genealogy, Luke does. So Luke is a little bit more wordy. Uh, John, again, he spends some time mentioning the beginning of Christ as God in eternity past. And then he gives some doctrinal truth about him before diving into his ministry. Well, not Mark. Mark jumps right in with a brief explanation as to what his book was about and who Jesus is. So he says in verse number one, this book is about the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It really is the story of the gospel of Christ. And he also declares who Jesus is uh, here in verse number one, Jesus Christ, the son of God. He immediately tells us who Jesus is and he tells us what this book is all about. Now in this book, in this uh, verse here, we see the phrase, the beginning of the gospel. Now, there are three beginnings recorded in Scripture. And I wanted to share them with you uh, just as kind of a side note. But first of all, the existence of God is, uh, is listed and recorded in Scripture. 
and the beginning of when God existed. Uh, John 1 and verse number 1, and here's uh, what that says. It says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And so this goes back to a timeless eternity uh, that we don't know. There is no date. Because here's the deal. Uh, God has always existed. There's never been a time when God started. He has always been. And his, by his nature, he always will be. And uh, John 1, 1 tells us, and again, we don't really understand that because our brains only understand the context of time. But God transcends time. He is not bound by time like you and I are. And, and uh, he has always existed. But then the, uh, the second uh, beginning that's mentioned in Scripture is the creation of God. Uh, and that's found in, of course, Genesis 1 in verse 1. Now again, not God's creation, or not, not the, when God was created, but when God created all that we, you and I know. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And this was the beginning, the start of time, as you and I understand it. And this is when God created all that you and I know when it comes to uh, life and it comes to physical life and the physical world in which we live in. Uh, there is a point in time when that took place and Genesis 1 records that. And then Mark 1 and verse 1 here records when the gospel of God really began. And the gospel, if you remember, is, and I uh, went through this with Brother Mike a little bit ago when he was baptized... The fact that Jesus uh, lived a perfect and sinless life. The fact that He died on the cross for our sins. The fact that He was buried and then uh, His miraculous and glorious resurrection from the grave three days later. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Mark 1, 1 kind of tells us this is the beginning of how it all started in the public ministry and, uh, and his death and burial and resurrection of Christ. So that's verse number one. But then let's jump into the outline this, this morning to help us understand a little bit and break down this uh, passage of Scripture from verses one through verse number 13 as we considered the prepared servant, because that's the title of the message here. He doesn't really begin his public ministry just yet. There's a couple things that Mark points out that took place prior to uh, his public ministry uh, starting. So first we see, number one, John introduces the servant. John introduces the servant. In verse number two, the Bible says, As it is written in the prophets, uh, Behold, I send my messenger before thy face, which shall prepare thy way before thee. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Here Mark briefly mentions John, and uh, starts by mentioning that he was a fulfillment of prophecy in the Old Testament. Uh, what were the prophecies? Well, Malachi chapter 1. If you jot that down as a reference in Isaiah 40 and verse 3. For sake of time, we won't turn there or quote the verses. But uh, those were two verses that pointed to the fact that one day there would come a messenger. There would become a forerunner that would make... Uh, well, it says here in verse number uh, 2, uh, My messenger before thy face, which shall prepare thy way before thee. Uh, there is going to be one voice crying in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his path straight. And uh, John was the fulfillment of those prophecies. 
Um, the Bible lists here several different aspects of John. Let's look at a few of them uh, very quickly this morning. First of all, let's see John's ministry. We see John's ministry found in verse number 4 and 5. As the Bible says, John did baptize in the wilderness, and he preached the baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. And that's what he did. He went around preaching. He went around baptizing. And uh, he also, well, look, look how what, the results of his ministry in verse number 5. There went out unto him all the land of Judea, and they of Jerusalem, and were all baptized of him in the river of Jordan, confessing their sins. So he had a tremendous ministry to go and preach and to baptize, and he did so uh, with great urgency and great fire and great passion, and uh, he did so. And as a result, many uh, followed him, and verse number 5 tells us that. So we see John's ministry. Then we see John's manner in verse number 7. I'm sorry, verse number 6. His manner. He had... uh, He was a different dude, shall we say. Verse number 6 says, John was clothed with camel's hair and with a girdle of skin about his loins, and he did eat locusts and wild honey. So his his dress was different. Uh, He wore uh, what nobody else wore in those days. He wore camel's hair, and uh, he had a girdle of a skin about his loins. That's what his attire was, so his dress was different. Far cry from the modern day preachers who, by the way, wear expensive designer clothes and uh, extremely expensive shoes. I don't know if you've, uh, there's a, I guess an Instagram account called Preacher's Shoes or anybody heard of that? Okay, a couple of you uh, that they would wear, you know, hundred dollar, I mean, not hundred, hundreds of dollars uh, that they would spend on these shoes. Well, John the Baptist had none of that. He wasn't interested in the fashion of this world. Um, He was just really concerned with following God's will for his life. So his dress was different, but his diet was also very different as well. Verse number six tells us he did eat locusts and wild honey. So he didn't need to have, you know, a fancy meal prepared for him, and he had to go and eat at the most expensive restaurants in town. That was not John. He was okay with just eating a bunch of locusts. Uh, now, by themselves, probably not so bad, not, not so good, but when you dip that in some wild honey, oh boy, that makes for a great snack. Uh, in fact, I'm thinking about tomorrow night, Julie, is our date night. I'm kind of thinking of making a special meal, uh, John the Baptist-inspired meal, okay? Um, yeah, eating, uh, eating locusts isn't that fun. In fact, when we were in Montana, um, we had... Uh, there was a lot of grasshoppers around, and maybe a little different than locusts were back in those days. But um, there was one one night when uh, Mark caught one, and he was showing me, and I said, "Hey, I, I'll pay you. I'll pay you a dollar to eat that." And he was seven at the time. He took me up on it. We have a little video of it. Let's go ahead and watch it real quick. Okay, this is Mark, and that's a live grasshopper, and he's gonna eat it for one dollar and five chewy sweet tarts. That's the deal. Okay. Let's count it down. 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Go. Down the hatch. 
<laughs> That's weird. Real Montana man here. Okay, that that does not taste good. Okay, gone. Gone. Let me see. Size of leg. Oh, <laughs> yummy. Okay. It's gone. Gone. All right. Good job. I owe you a buck and five sweet tart. <laughs> I did pay up, and uh, it was worth it was worth every penny plus the five chewy sweet tarts uh, to see him do that. And uh, so, a future John the Baptist. Uh, but he was different. Look, uh, w w what all these things—his attire, his dress, and his diet—showed us that he didn't need the things of this world to really satisfy him. How many of us would be okay to eat just that and to dress that way? And to follow the Lord. Uh, John was just dandy doing that. That was who he was. He didn't need the things of this world to satisfy him. He was satisfied with the Lord himself and the calling upon God for his life. Are you? Am I? Or do I have to have certain benefits and perks along the way? But John's manner was, he didn't need all that stuff. And then we see John's meekness, thirdly, in verse number 7. And here's one of the things that he preached. Part of his sermon was, There cometh one mightier than I after me, the latchet of whose shoes I am not worthy to stoop down and unloose. He said, "There, Yes, I have a calling upon my life. Yes, I have been given some authority to be the voice crying in the wilderness. But I realize that there is one greater than I am that I'm not even worthy to stoop down and, and unloose his sandals. See, he had tremendous meekness. I want to just encourage us this morning that humility and meekness are still very important in the service of the Lord. Uh, pride is something that God still hates. And he resists, the Bible says, the proud, those who are lifted up in pride. Just ask the great and powerful King Nebuchadnezzar, who became like a beast, the Bible says. Uh, what a humbling experience and as a result of that he did humble himself and he said okay Lord you are God and I'm not um, all that in a bag of Cool Ranch Doritos they did not have Doritos back in Daniel the book of Daniel but I don't know um, just ask uh, King Herod as well that God, whether God hates pride or not. Remember King Herod who was eaten of worms and then gave up the ghost because in his pride he failed to give the glory and the credit to God. Meekness is part of the fruit of the Spirit, can I remind you. And John, in spite of his boldness, in spite of his courage, in spite of his outspokenness and a little bit different style, was still humble in the sight of the Lord. I want to encourage all of us to maintain our humility. The Bible says, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due season. So we see John's meekness. And then, uh, fourthly, we see John's message in verse number 8. Here John said, and here's what his message was, I, in, I indeed have baptized you with water. But he, talking about Jesus, the Lamb of God that would one day come, uh, will baptize you with the Holy Ghost. 
See, John knew that his baptism of water was only an external symbol, but produced zero life change. But he knew that Jesus would one day come and baptize people with the Holy Ghost, which would produce a great amount of spiritual power to be his witnesses. And Acts chapter 1 and verse number 8 is a key reference there, if you want to jot that down and look it up later. So that was John's message. And so uh, first we see that John introduces the servant. But then secondly, as we make our way through this passage, God the Father identifies the servant. God the Father identifies the servant. If you look with me in verse number 9. And it came to pass in those days that, what are the next two words? Jesus came. Came to pass in those days that Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized of John in Jordan. Those two words, Jesus came. Aren't you glad that Jesus came? Now, not right here, uh, I mean, yes, right here, but overall, aren't you glad that Jesus came? First of all, Jesus came from heaven to earth in Bethlehem's manger as a little baby boy. Then after 30 years growing up in an obscure, lowly town called Nazareth, Jesus then made his way some 80 miles uh, from Nazareth to the Jordan River to be baptized to begin his public ministry. And one day in the future, it could be today, Jesus will come again to rapture us before the great tribulation period. And after that seven-year tribulation, Jesus will come back all the way to uh, rule and reign here on earth for 1,000 years. Yes, Mark, you're right in verse number 9. Jesus did indeed come. And praise be to God, he's coming again. The first time... Jesus came, by the way, as the lowly lamb of God. The second time he will come as the powerful lion of the tribe of Judah. He's coming. So Jesus came from Nazareth to, Jordan, to the Jordan River to be baptized by John. A couple thoughts about his baptism. And we'll see here in a moment when God the Father identifies who this servant is. First of all, his baptism showed the Trinity. Uh, verse number 9, it came to pass in those days that Jesus... So Jesus is mentioned in verse number 9, came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized of John in Jordan. Verse number 10, straightway coming up out of the water, by the way, that's an, another uh, reason why we do full immersion as bap when, we, when we baptize somebody. It's not sprinkling, it's not pouring. Why? Because when Jesus was baptized, he came straightway up out of the water in order to do that. I can't see sprinkling or pouring in that situation. It's a full immersion that Jesus was baptized by. So why should we not be baptized by full immersion as well? Um, but here we go. First, verse 10. Straightway coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens opened and the spirit like a dove descending upon him. That's the second uh, member of the Trinity or the third member of the Trinity, I think technically is what most people refer to the Holy Spirit as. So we have Jesus, the Son of God, in verse number 9. Then we have the Holy Spirit mentioned in verse number 10. And then we have God the Father mentioned in verse number 11. There came a voice from heaven saying, Thou art my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. So here we have all three members of the Trinity 
highlighted here in the baptism of Jesus Christ. We have Jesus, the Son of God. We have the, uh, the Holy Spirit descending upon him like a dove. And then we have God the Father uh, voicing from heaven saying, Thou art my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And so uh, here we see the Trinity. And, and really, as you go through all of the different aspects of the life of Christ, the Trinity is at play and at work in each and every moment and every uh, major event in the life of Christ. All three members of the Trinity working in unison uh, together. And I don't understand how it all works, but I read what the Bible says and that's what it says. So his baptism showed the Trinity, but his, all, his baptism was also very symbolic. Um, why would Jesus need to be baptized? John was preaching to be baptized. Of, he was preaching the baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. Jesus had no sins. Why did he then need to be baptized? His baptism was very symbolic, and it was different from the reason you and I get baptized. First of all, it inaugurated his public ministry. It inaugurated his public ministry. This kind of set things in motion. This was, the, this was the, the ceremony that kind of got everything started. And it was really at, after, his baptize, after his baptism, it was time to begin. Now in Luke chapter 4, in verse number 18, Jesus mentions that the Spirit anointed him to preach the good news, and, and on it goes. And uh, many Bible scholars believe that that anointing took place here at his baptism. And so it really kind of set everything in motion and gave him the necessary, um, boy, this is, this is tough to preach on the Trinity uh, because you just don't know how it all exactly works. But I'll just stop with, it inaugurated his public ministry and we'll move on. Um, I'm trying to explain things that really I have an explanation. So at first it inaugurated his public ministry. It also showed that he was the fulfillment of John's preaching. As John was preaching, he said, hey, there's coming one mightier than I after me, the latchet of whose shoes I'm not worthy to stoop down and loose. Uh, who was gonna that, that going to be? Well, when Jesus showed up, that was the one uh, that uh, fulfilled all of those uh, all of those sermons that he was preaching. He was the one who John was preparing a way for, and his baptizing baptism was identifying with the message that John preached. And then thirdly, it also pictured his eventual death and resurrection. Just as the Christian baptism symbolizes what Jesus did for us on the cross, how he died and then he was buried and then he came up out of the grave, uh, that, the first one to really picture that the best was Jesus Christ as he was baptized, showing that one day he was going to be literally bodily buried after his death on the cross, and then how he was going to come up uh, gloriously and victorious out of that grave the third day. As I mentioned, Jesus' baptism was different in purpose than the Christian baptism. In Christian baptism, we, uh, like what we had just this morning, is when someone who's believed on Christ and been born again, then follows the Lord and publicly identifies with what Jesus did for them on the cross and what Jesus did in their own individual hearts. 
baptism also shows not just what Jesus did, but uh, what happened to uh, Mike's old life. It was, it was crucified, it was buried, and now he's raised again to walk in newness of life. Uh, that's Christian baptism. And so this morning, if you have been saved and not yet been baptized, I would encourage you to follow Christ's example and be baptized as soon as you can. Please come see me. Let's talk. Let's get a time where we can get you back here and uh, have you baptized to be a public and give your public testimony of your faith in Christ. And so we see that uh, God the Father identifies a servant in verse number 11, Thou art my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. But then thirdly here, we see the temptation initiates the servant. Verse number 12. I notice this, And immediately the Spirit driveth him into the wilderness. And he was there in the wilderness forty days, tempted of Satan, and was with the wild beasts, and the angels ministered unto him. Notice the word immediately, verse 12. So after he was baptized, the Bible says immediately. It wasn't like a few days later. No, it was immediately. And here again is the verbiage of Mark. He's, he's like a fast-paced individual. And uh, this book is pretty fast-paced. And, and he says, immediately after his baptism, the Spirit driveth him into the wilderness. Can I just uh, teach us something? And uh, I need to be reminded of it as well. Many times in our even Christian lives, after we make a decision to follow the Lord, and we choose to do what's right, right afterwards, immediately, we will face a time of temptation. Uh, Jesus isn't alone in this. He made a decision here to be baptized and to take a step forward in his public ministry. You and I, as we take a step forward to serve the Lord, to make a decision in our Christian life to go forward. Uh, be ready that temptation is right around the corner, just like it was for Jesus. And notice it says in verse 12, the Spirit driveth him into the wilderness. The Holy Spirit said, all right, it's time now to go to the wilderness. You're going to experience some temptation. The Spirit driveth by the way, it didn't say it drove him. It driveth. Insinuating here that the Holy Spirit was a lead, lead in, led in him and guided him, not just into the wilderness, but throughout his entire ministry. That he was constantly following the leadership and the guidance of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus willingly obeyed. Showing to us that we too, you and me, my brother and my sister, should also willingly follow the leading of the Holy Spirit in our lives as well as He drives us, as He leads us, as He guides us. Jesus was willing to follow and be obedient. One detail that Mark mentions that the other Gospels leave out, number 13, is that when He was there in the wilderness, Wild beasts. Exactly what wild beasts there were, but there were some big animals around that were probably not real friendly. Perhaps even aiding uh, or making the temptations even that much stronger, I don't know. 
But here's a couple thoughts regarding this temptation that initiates the servant. First, it proved that he could not sin. And not to prove that he would not sin, but to prove that he could not sin. You see, if he could sin then, he could sin now. Because his nature has never changed. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And if he could sin there in the wilderness, then he could sin now. And that's a very dangerous, scary thing. The fact of the matter is, he not only would not, but he also could not sin then. And he cannot sin now because he is totally sinless. Because as God, he just simply could not sin. And he completely proved that in the wilderness. 1 John 1.5 says, This then is the message which we have heard of him and declare unto you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. 1 John 3, 5, And you know that he was manifested to take away our sins and in him is no sin at all. Hebrews four fifteen. Most of us are familiar with this one. We have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are yet without sin. See, he proved, this proved that he simply could not sin. A last thought here regarding the temptation that initiated the servant. Jesus used Scripture. He used Scripture. Now, the Gospel of Mark doesn't record this particular detail, but Matthew, in his account of the temptation in the wilderness highlights three specific temptations that Satan brought to the Lord Jesus. And each time our Savior responded with the words, It is written. And then proceeded to quote scripture from the Old Testament. This is what he used to defeat the temptation that came to them, came to him in the wilderness. And by the way, this is the same thing that you and I need to use when temptation comes to us in our wilderness. Psalm 119, verse number 11. Thy word have I hid in mine heart that I might not sin against thee. See, Scripture is the ammunition. If you're going out to battle and you're like, okay, I want the biggest gun with the biggest magazine. But make sure it's empty. Okay? Please make sure it's empty because I don't want to be armed. I, I, I don't want to be able to shoot anybody. What, what person would, what, what soldier would really say that? No soldier would say that. They would say, make sure that magazine is jam-packed. In fact, give me several other magazines just for fun, just for kicks and giggles, right? Um, please, I want to have as much ammunition as I can. Okay, friend, we are in a spiritual war. And you know what? The one thing that God has given us to defeat the temptation that comes our way is this book right here. Whoa, good catch. This book right here is the ammunition that God's given us. Remember when, when the armor of God is mentioned in Ephesians chapter 6? We're called to take the sword of the Spirit. This is the only offensive weapon we've got. And you know, a lot of Christians, they do that. They might have the Bible in their possession, but it's not where it really needs to be. And so as a result, they're unarmed and completely vulnerable uh, to the attacks that come their way. 
And so I guess the big challenge for us this morning is this. Uh, it's time to get armed and dangerous. It's time to stock up on some ammunition. My brother Terry and I have had some discussions in the last uh, few months as uh, the political landscape has changed and regarding ammunition. And if you have any questions about ammunition, he's your guy. You're welcome. <laughs> you may need to get a business card or something now, you know, and take appointments. But uh, people have gotten serious about getting ammunition in the last several months. When are Christians going to get serious about getting the Word of God in their heart? When am I? When are you? Ah, I've got it. I mean, I can handle it. Okay, well, if Jesus, the Son of God, thought it important to have the Scripture in his heart, to be able to quote it and defeat the temptation that came his way, shouldn't you and I? Psalm 37 and verse number 31, the psalmist said, The law of God is in his heart. None of his steps shall slide. You want to avoid backsliding in your life? You want to avoid going down the wrong path? Have the word of God deep inside your heart. Take the time to get the word of God in our hearts. 1 Corinthians 10, 13, There's no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. Look, all of us are from the same dirt. Well, you might be from Oklahoma dirt, a little bit more red than what I was uh, made from in California. But uh, the, the, the idea here is that, look, you're facing probably the same temptations that I'm facing. We're, we're in this together. The next part of the verse says, But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you're able, but will with the temptation also make a way to... Anybody know the next word? Escape. Very good. That you may be able to bear it. Can I ask you this question? When you're tempted, are you looking for that way of escape? Or are you just like, I guess I got to fall into it again this time. God has given us a way of escape, and we'll find it a lot better if we have the word of God in our heart. So if Jesus used scripture to defeat the temptation that came his way before he became, began his public ministry, uh, you and I have better make sure that our magazines are full and that we're well armed because the devil's after us as well. And uh, he's going to tempt us. It's not a matter of if, it's going to be a matter of when. And we better be ready. And the only way to be ready is if we have the Word of God in our hearts. That's why it's important for us to read it every day. That's important. why it's important for us to study it. That's why it's important for us to memorize it and to hide it in our hearts so that we will not sin against the Lord. And so we see in this uh, first little section here the pre preparation of the servant. Some lessons that we can learn and, and get. Most of all, though, as Brother and Mrs. Luno both mentioned in their testimony, you might know the gospel up here, but do you know it in here? Has there been a moment in your life where you believed the gospel? The verse, 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 we, we stood and read a few moments ago, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Do you know the gospel and do you believe it with your heart? If not, today would be a great day to make sure that you do. For those of us who have, 
hey, let's remember the, uh, uh, the lessons we, we've learned here. To be humble. To not let the things of this world uh, cause us to chase them. And, and instead be like John and say, I don't need the things of this world to satisfy me. I'm okay with God's call upon my life. Now, I don't necessarily want to see a whole bunch of people next Sunday wearing camel's hair and a girdle of skin about your loins. Okay? Uh, I'm fine with the way you're dressed right now, okay? Um, but at the same time, if that's our obsession and that's our, where our affection is, that's the wrong place. God deserves our affection, not the things of this world. And John had that in his mind. He had that perspective. He was also extremely humble. And God encourages us to have a humility and a meekness in our own hearts as well. And then, hey, if you're here and you've not been baptized and you're a believer... It's time to take care of that. It's time to obey the Lord and honor Him by being baptized. And then be ready for the temptation because it's coming. Let's pray. Lord, we do thank you so much for your word. Thank you for the gospel of Mark. And Lord, I'm just so excited to be able to study this book of the Bible and so many things that we can learn week by week as we go through this book. I pray, Lord, that you would guide us and to help us to be faithful. Um, Father, I do I pray that you would help us uh, to uh, make sure that we are living humble lives. Um, help us to follow the example of John the Baptist and to not seek the things of this world to bring satisfaction. To be okay with little. As long as we have you and your will, that's enough. Help us, Lord, to also uh, be ready for the temptation that comes our way. Uh, by getting your word in our hearts, by knowing it, and by applying it in the situations that come up. Lord, I, I also pray for those who are here today who perhaps do not know you as Savior, who, who have never believed the gospel uh, in their heart. I pray that today they would make that decision. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. I'm going to ask Ms. Pat to play in this next song, and as she does, I want to invite you to have a time of prayer right where you are. And, and if you're here this morning and you say, Pastor, I'm not a Christian. I, I don't know that I've ever believed in the gospel of Jesus Christ, but uh, I'd, I'd like to make sure I, I, I've taken care of that. Uh, please come see me at the end of the service. I'd be glad to talk to you and set up a time where we can uh, go through a little bit more of it. Not showing you my way or our church's way to heaven, but, but God's way, the Bible way uh, to heaven. And then if you're saved and you've not been baptized, come see me. Let's get that put on the calendar. Let's get that taken care of. It's an important thing. It's an important step in the Christian life.